Well, good evening. I hope everyone is having a, a wonderful week so far. Um, I appreciate John asking me to come out and speak. Um, we are good friends, and so hopefully it says something to me about how he feels about my speaking if he allows me to come to his congregation. Um, so I'm glad that he's allowed me to do that, and I, I'm very appreciative. As you can see, John and I have the same hairstyles. Uh, so, you know, we hang around the same circles. Uh, we've got a couple of buddies. You just met Jeff a couple of week, uh, Wednesdays ago, and we're trying to get him with us. But he's keeping the long hair thing going. Uh, he looks pretty good on him. So um, if you would turn to First Peter. First Peter is where we're going to be this evening, talking about our faithfulness and how our faithfulness can build bridges. Uh, and I think, I think it's also kind of funny as we begin, too. I think some of you maybe... Uh, if you were at the Camp Rock Creek Camp, heard me speak, uh, I think it was on a Monday night, and I think I went about 10 minutes, and so I think I set the bar pretty low for myself, and so I'm going to try to go a little bit more than 10 minutes this evening, uh, hopefully for your benefit. Um, but I thought about this idea of building bridges. I love this idea of building bridges because bridges are something that we cross over probably every single day. Uh, if you're driving a major highway, you're going over a bridge. If you're going uh, over a creek or over different places, you're probably crossing a bridge. And we don't really give thought to it very much. But the things underneath it which hold up the bridge are super important. Are they not? And so if you think about it, you know, if we didn't have those things there, those bridges would not be possible to go over. And so this evening, hopefully, I'm going to build a couple of, I don't know if you want to call them uh, pillars or trusses or whatever you want to call them, uh, of faithfulness so that we might be able to bring our faith to others and show others what we're all about. As I was thinking about this this past week and, you know, during the time in which I've had to prepare this, I thought about the idea of faithfulness and I, and I thought to myself, well, do I go to Hebrews chapter 11? Do I talk about the hall of faith and all of the faithful that Hebrews talks about, Abraham and Sarah? Do I talk about Samson? Do I talk about David? And so on and so forth. And that didn't really connect with me. And then I kind of started to think about, you know, who else would maybe I, I talk about when it came to faithfulness? Obviously, we could talk about Jesus and Jesus being faithful to God. And there are going to be some aspects about that here in our lesson this evening. But where my mind went to was Peter. And you might be thinking to yourself, if you know a lot about Peter, you, faithfulness? I don't know about that. This is the apostle, the disciple, right? That when Jesus was walking on the water towards them, he, Peter looked out and he said, If it is you, Lord, call me to come out. And so he starts to walk on the water and Jesus says, Come. And he starts to get out and he sees the waves rushing about him, right? And so he starts to sink. And he reaches up and he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down his hand and grabs him. And he says, ye of what? Little faith. I think about in Mark chapter 8 towards the end and about verse 28 or 29. Whenever Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And some say Elijah, some say a prophet or John the Baptist. And Peter says, you are the Christ. And at that moment, you're going, yes, Peter, you've got it right. But then Jesus starts to talk about how he's going to have to suffer and, uh, you know, die and then on the third day be raised and go through all these difficult things. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. And you're going, wait, hold on. This something doesn't add up. 
And Jesus looks at him and he says, uh, something I, I hope to never hear in my life, get behind me, Satan, for you have not in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And I started to think about Peter because, you know, you're like, wow, that must have been a, a, a faith-shaking you know, statement for Peter. And then you go to the next chapter in chapter 9 of Mark, and it's a transfiguration. And they're on the mountain, right? And, and the, there's these figures in front of them, and, and, and they're glowing, and there's Jesus. And, and I believe there's Moses and Elijah, if I can remember correctly. And all of a sudden, Peter goes, and he, you know, Peter, of course, speaks up, and he says, let me make a tabernacle for all three of you. Well, what's he signifying? He's signifying that all three of them are the same. And God said, this is my son. Listen to him. And so when you think about Peter and faithfulness, (laughs) it's kind of a topsy-turvy thing, is it not? I think about in Galatians chapter 2, whenever Paul says he had to withstand him to the face because he was showing favoritism among the, the Jews towards the Gentiles. I think about times in in Peter's life of Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times, and surely not I, Lord. It's not going to be me. And by the third rooster crow, what had happened, he had denied Jesus three times. And I believe it's the book of Luke that says Jesus looked in his direction or at him, and he went out and wept bitterly. Peter has all the fervor in the world, right? Peter has all of the go get them. In the world, he, he's ready to take on the world. He's ready to do things for Jesus, and, and, and he's faithful. And so he's got this faithfulness that, that he wants to go do things, and he wants to go convert people, and he wants to do the right things. But sometimes he just, you know, stumbles on himself. And so I wanted to look at First Peter. <laughs> Because when I think about faithfulness and I think about reading the book of First Peter after all the things and, and the ye of little faith that we see uh, of Peter in the Gospels, what does Peter have to say about faith? Well, we know in First Peter that he's talking to a bunch of people that are being pushed out of their homes or being pushed out of the places in which they live. And so if you think about it, they're going through a lot of suffering at this time. He calls them the elect exiles in chapter 1 and verse 1. But then you skip down to chapter 1 and verse 6, and he says, In this you rejoice, though, now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of, note this, your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first pillar that we need to have to build that bridge of faithfulness towards others is our faith has to be our own. Chapter 1 and verse 6, or verse 7, sorry, says, your faith. Chapter 1 and verse 9 says, your faith. Chapter 1 and verse, I believe it is, uh, it's in the 20s, it has that same phrase of your faith. If you think about Peter and all the things that he went through, if he wouldn't have had faith by himself, his own faith, not based off of anybody else or based off of any other thing, would he have gotten to the place in which he is? And we know, we read in chapter 5 that he's an elder in the church. But would he have gotten to this place if he hadn't made his faith his own? I think sometimes we're in a scary place of wanting to bring our faith to others because we haven't made it our own. 
Think about all of the things that you talk to your friends and family about. Think about your favorite sports team. How much can you talk about your favorite sports team? I'm a big Thunder fan. Um, hopefully you are too because we live in Oklahoma. It's the right thing to do. Um, and I can't tell you. I, I can talk to you about uh, Josh Giddy. I can talk to you about Shea. I can talk to you about how we did pretty good last season. We shouldn't have even been in uh, the, the play-in, but yet we were. We didn't play too well, which is a little frustrating. But I can talk to you about it, right? I can bring it to you because I've made that team my own. I've made that thing my own. It's something that I hold very dear and very close to my heart. It's something that's very important to me. The question for myself is, can I say the same thing about my faith? Can I say the same thing about my faith that I might say about my sports team? Or about that favorite TV show that I have? Or or maybe it's, uh, you know, my favorite hobby that we do endless research on. If it's truly our faith, if it's truly your faith, right, then it's going to be something that's overflowing. It's going to be something that can't be quenched. Look at verse 6 again. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Let me ask you, if your first pillar is your faith, how genuine is it? How, how strong is it to withstand the overpassing of large vehicles, large suffering, large grief? Is it able to hold? Because this is talking about a refiner's fire, right? More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about suffering and your faith going through that. What happens to your faith, to my faith, if it's based off of a really faithful relative? If it's based off of a really faithful parent or friend? What happens in the tough times? What do people see around us? Right, that we're supposed to be building this bridge of faithfulness, this this bridge of faithfulness that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter grief or sorrow or pain or what might come, that we are faithful to God, that we are faithful in all things, in our speech, in our conduct, which we'll get to here in a second, but we're faithful because it's ours, because it's mine, because it's not yours, it's not your faith that I'm holding on to, it's my faith that I'm clinging so dearly to. And it's, it's encouraging, right? Because look at what he says about our faith or your faith. He says in verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him with, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. But look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, I'm not clinging to my faith. I'm not clinging so strongly to what I believe in or how I'm supposed to live or what I'm supposed to do because there's nothing at the end of the tunnel. I'm clinging so hard to that faith that no matter what suffering or what thing comes in my life, right? I'm clinging to it because of verse 9, obtaining the outcome of my faith, the salvation of my soul. 
And hopefully that's a reason why you're clinging to your faith as well. I think about we've gone through difficult times in the past few years, have we not? We've gone through some difficult times and and regardless of your your belief on on what happened or how it happened or, you know, all of the different opinions you can have on the things that are of today. People went through a rough time the past few years. And I'm not here to judge anybody. And if I'm here to judge anybody, more than anything, I'm here to judge myself. What did the past few years do to your faith? What did the past few years of going through uh, some quarantine, having to wear a mask, having to see our nation in difficult positions, do to your faith? And maybe an even greater question that we need to ask ourselves is, what did others see our faith act as in? What what did others see in our faith? Did they see us faithful during those times? Did they see that pillar underneath that bridge holding fast? Or did they see it shaky? I can't remember what bridge it is. And I think it's the old I-40 bridge um, that used to be the old I-40 of Oklahoma. Um, But I can just remember as a kid that whenever we would drive on that bridge, I mean, there were potholes everywhere. There were dips. And, you know, you kind of felt like you were on a, uh, on a what, what is that? A, I can't think of the word now. Roller coaster. There it is. Thank you very much. You almost felt like you were on a roller coaster. But it's scary because you're on a bridge, <laughs> right? And so, you know, I always wondered to myself, how are those pillars holding underneath there? How in the world are we on this bridge and able to bounce around and bump and do all these things and it still hold? Sometimes our faith is like that too. Sometimes our faith, you know, is a bunch of potholes have been filled and, and the, the ground underneath it's a little bit weak, and the, the, but the pillars are still holding strong. Just because you go through difficult times in life, just because you go through difficult suffering or a difficult season in your life, doesn't mean that your faith has to go away. You know what they did with that bridge? <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure they tore it down and they built something new and that's stronger. But that's exactly what can happen to your faith too. Sometimes it gets torn down a little bit only to be built up stronger. But here's the thing. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Okay, so we've talked about this idea of it being our faith. That first pillow, it, first pillar, excuse me, is our faith, and that's holding strong. But then he gets into verse 13. He says, preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal, and this ways is the same idea as conduct, it's the same word, inherited from your forefathers, not wishing to, uh, with, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now move with me to chapter 2. And look at verse 11. 
Verse 9 through 10, he gets on telling them that they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Uh, because he called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, right? Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. This is our faith. This is what we believe in. This is what we're hoping and trusting in, right? He says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The, sec- the first pillar of our faithfulness has to do with our belief and our faith in God. But the second is our actions. It's our conduct. It's the way that we hold ourselves. It's the way that we act. It's the way that we speak. It's the way that people see us living our lives. Are you living your life in full faith and assurance? (laughs) Or are you like Peter sometimes and maybe you sink a little bit? Maybe you, well, I don't want to say you end up rebuking Jesus, but maybe some things that he says are hard to believe or hard to understand. I think about this idea of our conduct being among the Gentiles honorable. Right, and, and if you think about it in this context, he's writing to Christians. So Gentiles in this conduct, right, or in this context would be those that are not Christians, those that are outside of our faith and our faithfulness. How often do we think about the people that are watching us live our lives? How often are, do we give a thought to the people that see you post on Facebook? Uh-oh, I, I touched a rough subject. I mean, think about it, though. Think about the past three years and all the things that have gone on. Think about your conduct connected to your faith with all the things that have happened in this world. Have people seen your faith? Have people seen your conduct in the way that you speak about not only what has happened, but maybe our leaders or maybe our churches or the way that we're doing things? Has that conduct been honorable to those that are outside of the church? Because if we're trying to build bridges to other people, if we're trying to build bridges to those that don't know Jesus, that don't know Christ, what are they going to be looking at first and foremost? It's me. It's what I do and how I talk and how I deal with suffering and how I deal with heartache or how I deal with joy or how I deal with life in general. My conduct is going to be the first thing that they see. I don't know who told me this. It's very true. Um, And I wish I remembered who said this. And, And maybe it's just a famous quote that, you know, maybe you can tell me later. But someone said, you might be the only Jesus that anyone ever experiences. You might be the only Jesus that anyone ever experiences. And I think about that because I think if that's the case, then what's my conduct like? How have I treated that person? What if that person was mean or rude to me? (laughs) What if that, what if, uh, you know, how, how do people see me treat and react to the things that are going on in this world? 
to politics or to uh, the pandemic or to sports or to whatever else you might name. What do they see about that conduct? And what's the reason? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the the day of visitation. That can mean a couple things, and that might mean that through your actions, you know, they're going to glorify God because they're going to see that what you're doing is right. But I, I have a different view of this in mind. I believe that according to this verse, that hopefully um, this means that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm thinking when Jesus comes back. Hopefully by your conduct and the way that you act and the way that you talk about your faith and your faithfulness, the way that you speak, the things that you do that show your faith to everyone else, hopefully that makes someone change their mind about the way that they're living. Hopefully that makes them think, you know what, maybe I'm doing this all wrong. Maybe I'm suffering needlessly when I don't have to be. Maybe I'm always so frustrated at the things that are going on in the world that I don't have an answer for why. You know, it's, it's interesting. Peter doesn't just stop there in chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2 and verse 12 about our conduct, but he actually lists what our conduct is supposed to be. Look at verse 13 as I take a quick sip. And I'm not here to tell you that these things are easy when it comes to our conduct. But it says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do Good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And if I can superimpose some of our culture into this, that might mean honor the president. I brought up Facebook, and, you know, this might be a little not hypocritical. I, can't, I don't, can't think of the word of it, but I have no social media. So I, I am at this point immune from seeing what's on there, seeing what people post, all of these different things. I can tell you I've been on there. I've been on most of those social media apps, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. What is your conduct or your speech about our human institutions, about our emperor as supreme, about our governors or or the people that are sent by our United States to do the jobs in which they are to do? Do we honor everyone? What are our words or what are our thoughts on the brotherhood? How do we speak about our brothers and sisters in Christ? How is our conduct towards them? Do we treat them the way that we're supposed to? You see, because our faith is in conjunction with our conduct. You can't have faith and no deeds, as James chapter 2 says. Faith without deeds is dead. 
There's a conduct that we're supposed to be living by if we're faithful Christians. If we are those that are being holy as he is holy. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Flip with me to verse 21. He says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want you to see this. In our conduct, the same way that we see the conduct of Christ and what he went through and how whenever he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Whenever he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued to do what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In our conduct, in our speech, in our thoughts, through our faith, our own individual faith, who are we entrusting our souls to? Who do you entrust your life to? Because I'll tell you one thing, who you entrust your life to will influence all of the different things of what you're fearing going on today. What you see going on today. Your thoughts about what, are, what is going on in this world today. And it's going to also influence the things you do about them. Jesus entrusted his entire self and soul to him who judges justly. And so because he did that, he was able to go to the cross. Because he did that, he was able to be beaten for something that he didn't do. Because he entrusted himself and his soul to God, he was able to not threaten those who were threatening him. Not mock those who were mocking him. He who said he could tear down the temple in three days and rebuild it. He didn't do any of those. Um, I, should, I should rephrase that. He didn't give to in return to those who did those things to him. But he entrusted himself to God. Look at chapter 4 and verse 19. Chapter 4 and verse 19 says... Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a what creator? Say it out loud. Faithful creator. You know how you build faithful bridges? Is you entrust your soul to a faithful creator. We don't have to wonder if God's going to be faithful at the end of our lives. We don't have to worry or fear if our faith is going to produce the outcome of our of it, the salvation of our souls. We don't have to worry about all of those things. Why? Because God is faithful. And He keeps His promises. And He tells us what's going to happen. And we should be those that listen and have full faith and assurance in that, like Jesus. How could Jesus live life to the detriment of his own body? 
his own flesh, his own mind. It's because in all of his conduct, he put all of his faith and his trust into Jesus. Flip back with me to chapter 3 and verse 13. So we've talked about the fact that our faith or your faith, right, has to be with the first pillar. And the second pillar is our conduct. But, but look at this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I don't know about you, but I feel like I said good like one too many times. I want you to think about this, is that, yes, it has to be our faith. Yes, our conduct has to be good. But when those things seem to line up, people start to wonder why. You know, I see that you're going through a very difficult time in life right now. Why is it that you're still smiling? I see that you have, you know, just gone through um, some very difficult, you know, job transition. And you're, you're struggling to, to find a new job. Or you're struggling to find new work. How is it that you're still joyous and happy? How is it that... I see people, you know, uh, berating you or getting on to you for this one thing over and over and over, and yet you stay firm. It's because of my faith. It's because of my hope. It's because that no one on this earth can do anything to me that's going to keep me from him. Because of, not because of my faithfulness necessarily, but because of his and if I'm entrusting my soul to him, then I know that when I'm faithful to him, he's faithful to me, and we're going to meet in the sky. Giving an answer for the hope that is within you. We need to talk about our faith. We need to talk about the hope that is within us. I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, when I was, you know, it's, it's weird to say whenever I was younger. Um, I'm getting a little bit older, um, and it's weird to say that, but I'm also, you know, I'm in a weird place. Um, I'm, I'll be 30 this year, so if that tells you where my mind is. Um, I was in college. I was at UCO, and I had a professor who was um, um, a part of the LGBTQ community, and he was very outspoken about it. And I had a lot of people in that class that were uh, very outspoken about it as well. And one day I walk in and we're sitting in class and they are just bashing. I wouldn't say the Church of Christ, but they were just bashing the Bible and church and all of these things and how people act and how they're hypocrites and all of these different things. And I can honestly say to you, I can, I'm ashamed that I just sat there and listened. I was afraid. 
I was afraid of getting a bad grade. I was afraid of what they might say about me. I was afraid of how they might treat me after, after that class. Like, we weren't done with class. We were in the middle of the semester, and I was thinking, you know, self-preservation, right? What would have happened if I would have given up my answer for the hope that is within me, for the life in which I live, for the faith in which I cling to, for the conduct in which I try my ever best to do. Who knows? Maybe I could have converted someone. Maybe I could have touched someone's heart and later on in their life they could have come to God. But I'll tell you for a fact that I know exactly what's not going to happen is that no one's going to come to God because of my silence. No one's going to come to Jesus or come to know my faith or come to know the reason for why I live the way that I live when I keep my mouth shut. And now, look, look at this. This is not me berating someone for how they live or looking at someone and saying, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, Jesus told us to. Verse 15 of chapter 3, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you, yet. It's a big word, but it's only three letters. Do it with gentleness and with respect. I think sometimes we feel like when we have to open our mouths to defend our faith or to show someone our faith, that we've got to beat them over the head with it. That we've got to go wrong, right? Or that we have to have the absolute best answer, the best scripture to, uh, to win the argument. If you're doing it with gentleness and respect, you're not trying to win the argument. You're trying to win the soul. Our faithfulness should be building bridges. Our faithfulness should be bringing people to Jesus through, our, through the pe- way that people see our faith, through the way that people see us live our lives, through the answers that we give for the hope that is within us. My question for us this evening is, goes back to a, kind of the second point of who are you entrusting your soul to? Because if you're going to use your faithfulness to build bridges, if you're going to use faithfulness, right, to bring others to Christ or to help others to see what what godly or or Christian living looks like or, or to show others that you have an answer for your hope or that you have an answer for the things that are um, so dear and near to your heart, that starts with entrusting yourself to him. Why? Because of verse 19 of chapter 4. He is a faithful creator. And he is faithful to his promises and he is faithful to those that hold fast to their faith. To kind of wrap this all up, and I know when I say that, everyone closes their Bibles and tends not to listen, and that's okay. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Um... Think about Peter. We think about his faithfulness. And we think about him making so many mistakes. And if you're like me, I I am just, 
I don't know, um, always thinking about Peter and the life in which he lived. Because something that we don't really, uh, we talk about a lot, but we don't talk about in this way, is he had all of those mistakes and he made all of those, you know, wobbly bridge issues and all, he had all those things that happened in his life where he denied Christ and he was ye little faith on the water and he rebukes Jesus. But he's preaching the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he's an elder in the Lord's church writing First and second Peter to the people of God who are going through difficult times. Your faith might be in the rocky parts where Peter's was at one point. But that doesn't mean that it can't be the firm part towards the other part where Peter is when he's writing to us in first Peter. That doesn't mean that your bridge uh, can't be made strong. It can't be. It can't have added pillars. It can't. You know, at a certain point, we need to be those that are making sure we're doing all of these things. Why? So that our faith can be seen by others and hopefully bring others here, and we can help their faith to grow as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Peter and for the life in which he lived, but also the things in which he wrote so that we might see that being faithful to you, while not a linear path, there's ups and downs, there's mountains and valleys. In those mountains and valleys, we can still bring people to you. Father, with our faith, our individual faiths, and with our conduct and with our answer, for the hope that is within us. Help us to build bridges to those that do not know you, that do not understand our faith towards you, but help us to reach them and to show them our hope. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.